You're listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel. And we want to welcome you to episode 59. This is an episode where Abigail got to pick the album, and I got to arrange the beer, which is quite the story. But Abigail, before we talk about that, tell us what we'll be listening to today. I would love to. Today, we'll be talking about Jason Mraz and his album, We Sing, We Dance, we Steal Things. This was his third studio album from 2008. It's another album that was introduced to me by a good friend, Dakota D'Amato, who you know, of course. And this I heard for the first time in the later years of high school between 11th and 12th grade. So I came to it rather late. You know, it came out in 2008. I would have come to it in 2010 to 2012. But it's an album I really, really grew to love. And I still listen to it from time to time. And I'm excited to talk with you about it. Well, surprisingly, I knew quite a few songs off this album. I think they were big hits. Some of it probably on Coffee House, the the ones I was familiar with. Although I found the album to be kind of musically diverse, a little bit more jazzy than I was expecting. Got some hip hop songs on there. So toward the end of it, where the hip hop pops up, maybe the back five songs I kind of struggled with a little bit because of the hip hop. Oh, really? Well, just because they were so close together. And then all of a sudden it it made the back half of the album a little different than the front half. And so I really preferred like the first, I want to say seven songs. Like the album overall, the hip hop ones kind of threw me off a little bit. Now, as far as the beer, the album title really inspired me this time because (laughs) I thought the album title was very funny, right? We sing, we dance, we steal things. I, I had no idea what it meant. I read that it was based on, I think, a play. But anyway... I started thinking about breweries that might tie into any of those themes. And it dawned on me that about a little more than a year ago, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina with mom. She was at a medical conference and I had playtime. Playtime. <laughs> and the only brewery, playtime, you know, she was busy and I had the afternoon <laughs> off on a weekend. And so uh, the only brewery that was within walking distance of the hotel was a brewery called Petty Thieves. And so I hustled on foot over to the brewery and the place was fabulous. It was in a brick building and they did the entire interior with like thrift furniture. Oh, cool. So when you walk in- So nothing matched. Nothing matches, but it's old like- That's so fab. Upholstered chairs by a Franklin stove. And it's a little, there's a lot of little sitting areas and funky decor. I remember the artwork was the same kind of thing. It was like old gaudy picture frames with weird old pictures in them. And so it turns out when I was doing some reading on the brewery that it was all thrift shop stuff that they basically did this. And you get that vibe from the artwork. It's got kind of an older 1800 kind of graphic design on the logo. One of the guys was a mechanic, both a bicycle and an automobile mechanic. And so some of the images are old school bicycles, you know, the kind oh, of wow. giant wheel bikes and all that kind of stuff. If I remember right, there m- might've even been some bicycles hanging in the ceiling. I-, I-, I can't remember. I have some pictures of the place. I'm going to put them up when I do the website for this one. But in order to get the beer, we kind of decided this one in a hurry. I reached out to a friend of mine from medical school, Michael McCrone, Dr. Michael McCrone, of course, since we went to medical school together. This is a guy who I actually knew peripherally in college. We went to college together at Johns Hopkins university in the 80s and i knew of him we weren't we didn't hang out in the same circles but he was a recognizable guy on campus i mean we were all pre-med so you know in a lot of the same classes and stuff and when i went to uf 
for medical school, we were partnered for gross anatomy together because we were both from Hopkins. Oh, wow. So we did our gross anatomy lab together and became great friends from that experience and have remained friends to this day. I did a reading at his wedding, been really, really close to him for a long, long time. And he was from the Chicago area originally and had worked and practiced in Chicago for years and retired with his wife to Charlotte, North Carolina, completely out of the blue. Wow. So I got to see him on that trip that I'm talking about, although he didn't join me at Petty Thieves. So he agreed to run over to Petty Thieves and pick out the beer for this episode. Very kind. Yeah. Everything we have, Mike picked out. Thanks, Dr. Mike. I just said, pick out four things in cans, whatever. Buy a four pack, send me two, keep the other two for yourself as a tip. Finder's fee. <laughs> I said, send me the bill. And then he goes, um, I go, where's my invoice? And he says, well, consider it my contribution to the arts. So <laughs> did he send us the beer. He didn't even charge me for any of the beer or the shipping or anything like that. He says, buy me lunch next time you're in town. So, Oh, that's very sweet. Maddie C would love that one too. <laughs> that's a great, yeah, that's a great story. We got a contribution to the arts. So anyway, these three beers were picked out by Mike and he did a great job, especially because he doesn't know what styles you like. He doesn't know what styles I like. I'm sure it was really based on what was in the cooler, but we have a West Coast Pilsner, we have a dark Czech lager, which actually in the story of Jason Mraz is very ironic. And then we have a hazy IPA. He also sent us a double dry hopped IPA, which I will save for a later date, knowing the word double freaks you out. Thank you. Very kind of you. So that's the story on the beer. I went to the website to do a little research on the brewery. They've been around since 2020. Like I said, one of the guys was a mechanic. It was two guys who home brewed together for about 15 years before they decided to jump into the brewery scene there in Charlotte. There's not a lot of information other than that about the development of the brewery. And uh, at least on the webpage and on Untapped, there's not great descriptions for the beer. So I'm hoping as we pull the cans out, I didn't look at the cans very carefully, but they're beautifully designed labels, which I'll scan and put up on the webpage also. But I'll look on the cans as we pull them out and see if there's any additional information on it. So how about we start, because it's a lot. A lot of beer. Three tall boys, my friend. Why don't we start with the West Coast Pilsner, if that's all right with you? Yes. I was looking at the names of the beers that we'll be drinking today. We will reveal them as we go, but they reminded me very much of the names of the beers we had at Burial Brewing in season one when we reviewed the Rock and Tours album. And so I wanted to read the names of those beers to remind folks what we drank at Burial. That's in Asheville, North Carolina. And then as we reveal the names of these that we're drinking today, I think you might find some similarities. So what we had at Burial were Profit Maker, a canvas of fragmented memoirs, <laughs> a space for sacrilege, and of a fading season. Very poetic names. The uh, vibe of the brewery here and the vibe at Burial are not too dissimilar. I mean, this one's, you know, it's more of a an interior design with a lot of mm -hmm. all that funky furniture I was talking about. You know, because when you're sitting at Burial, you know, they've got paintings and they've got murals and they've got those cars outside that they've redone that you can sit in and just all this kind of wacky stuff. And this brewery is a lot like that. All right. So the first one I pulled out is the West Coast Pilsner. It's called Lucky Strikes. Now, it's an interesting can when I look at it because it's got a top of a bowling trophy and some pins. But it's in a double circle, a red and blue circle, which when I first looked at it, before I figured out the bowling reference, made me think of the Lucky Strikes cigarette pack. Oh, maybe it is in reference to that. I'm positive that it is. How can it not be? And from North Carolina, the heart of tobacco and cigarette country, there is a good description on the can. So let me read this to you. It says, way out west, there was this fella I want to tell you about. Fella by the name of Jeff Lebowski. 
At least that was the handle his loving parents gave him, but he never had much use for it himself. This Lebowski, he called himself the dude. I only mention it because sometimes there's a man, I won't say a hero, because what's a hero? But sometimes there's a man, the man for his time and place. It's good knowing he's out there, the dude, taking her easy for all us sinners. And of course, that's a reference to the movie, The Big Lebowski. Not really a beer description. <laughs> no, not really. Because I thought these guys were kind of artsy, craftsy kind of guys. I figured the writing was good somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Untapped, it just says W.C. Pilsner. They didn't even bother saying West Coast. They just wrote W.C. <laughs> Pilsner. Anyway, I'll uh, try to peel this thing off. So that's where the bowling reference comes from, too, because the Big Lebowski, one of the things in there is that bowling. This is also, since you didn't mention it, uh, a collaboration with Cabarrus Brewing Company, which I have just looked up, and it is in Concord, North Carolina. Oh, cool. So this is 5.6 ABV. I'm pouring it into my glass. I'm going cans only today. It's got, uh, I'm giving it the Dave Zalatoris two fingers of foam <laughs> to report. Shout out to Dave Z. <laughs> Dave Z in Chicago. It's a golden color, and I don't know if that's bubbles that are going to clear, but it looks a little cloudy to me. And I think that's really the case. I don't think that's bubbles that haven't risen to the top yet. So it's not crystal clear. How about yours? You got the same thing? I'm drinking out of can, so. Oh, you're going old school. I can't comment on the clarity or the fingers of head, unfortunately. All right. Cheers to that. Cheers. <laughs> wow, Dad. On screen, that looks like a picture perfect glass of beer. That's a beer commercial beer right there. That's right. I should have taken a picture for stock photos. And it's a very clean, flavorful Pilsner. Wow. So A little citrusy, I think. It's quite hoppy for a Pilsner. It is. But I appreciate that because it gives it an edge over other Pilsners, right? I wonder if that's why it's West Coast. Maybe that's what the West Coast Pilsners are about. Yeah, I was also thinking because, you know, West Coast IPAs, the hops they use have more of a piney resinous flavor. And I'm wondering if they use West Coast type of hops in this beer. It doesn't say on the can, unfortunately. No, it doesn't say what the hops were that were used. Minimal information on untapped. Disappointing. Well, <laughs> can't have everything all the time, everywhere. What is that movie called? Everywhere, all the, everything, everything, everywhere. Everywhere, all at once. Yeah, I can't have that. <laughs> Mm. This is very clearly a craft pilsner. Like you're not going to be session drinking these at a tailgate. No. Because it is quite hoppy. And that's why I like it because that's more in yeah. my palate to have more hops in it. Right. Right. My beef with pilsners all the time is. Not enough flavor. They're not enough flavor for me. So, all right, I'm going to sip on this and ponder the cigarette pack label as I stare at it more. But in the <laughs> meantime, why don't you tell us a little bit about Jason Moran? So, Jason Mraz has been around since the early 2000s. His first album was released in 2002, and he actually released an album in 2023, this calendar year, called Mystical, Magical, Rhythmical, Radical Ride, which to me sounds very a la Magical Mystery Tour. <laughs> I haven't listened to that album, but just looking at the title, I'm now very intrigued by it. I wonder if it's Beatles-inspired in any way. Huh, interesting. So I think I'm going to go listen to it. But yeah, he's been around. He has had some major, major hits, a couple of them being from this album. So the album itself peaked at number three in the Billboard Top 200. And there were three singles, the first three songs on the album. I'm Yours was the only one that was released before the album. And to me, that's the Jason Mraz song that everyone knows. And the data sort of bear that out. It peaked at 
number one on the Billboard Mainstream Top 40 and number one on the Billboard Adult Top 40 and number one on the Adult Contemporary and Adult Alternative Billboard charts and number six on the Billboard Hot 100. So that one was a major, major hit and I heard it everywhere. Same with Lucky, which is the third track featuring Colby Calais. That one only peaked at number 48 on the Hot 100, but it peaked at number nine on the Adult Top 40. And I feel like everyone knows that song as well. It's one of two collaborative songs that are on this album. The other one is Details in the Fabric with James Morrison. Do you know anything about James Morrison? No. Is he? Is that the guy who did sort of the phone messages? That's the one where the guy calls at the beginning and the end of the song. I, I couldn't figure out what James Morrison's role really was in that song. He sings in it. I don't know the story behind the phone messages. There are a couple different songs where there are bonus <laughs> material. Reminded me a little bit of the album Zach gave us by Logic that had phone messages. Yeah. But I feel like I felt like those phone messages in that album were like real things that he lifted and used as part of the story. And I feel like here, I couldn't tell if they were real messages or if they were just engineered to be part of the song. It was a little, a little tricky for me. It's interesting. I've been getting some TikToks lately about artists in this time period, like 2007 to 2010 was like the peak of this where they would add quote unquote raw audio at the end of their songs to make them seem more quirky and relatable the main example that comes to mind is kesha had a song i cannot remember the title of the song but at the end after the song's over she goes i like your beard <laughs> just bonus stuff tacked on at the end and so the phone messages are very of this time i think there's another track on this album also where it doesn't sound like it's done in a live venue but then at the end of it you hear a bunch of applause i don't know if it's people in the studio or what it was where they they clap at the end of the song yeah and i think that one may have had a gospel choir singing back up in it i'm wondering if the applause was for say a take of the gospel choir singing or something like that but it was tagged on just like you're saying yeah as kind of a interstitial thing because the song really comes to a complete end it doesn't blend into it you could easily have cut that out Right. Not included, but they chose to do it. You very correctly called out the blend of genres and styles that are on this album. My understanding is that Jason Mraz loves writing sort of rap style lyrics. And so the songs that are on this album that are him more in a rap or hip hop, or it's, some have described it even as scatting adjacent. That's his favorite. Huh, interesting. <laughs> that's him having fun wordsmithing and his lyricism. And I find the rhyming and the wordsmithing to be a little... Um, like sometimes it feels like he's trying too hard with that. But I think in other songs, it works very nicely. This whole album is very, very heavy on rhyme. Everything rhymes really amazingly. Internal rhyme, like the front and the ends of the words will sometimes rhyme. It's really interesting to hear that. And it makes sense that he has that sort of affinity for writing rap lyrics because those are also pretty heavy on rhyme. The only thing I would say about the the hip hop thing is it's not something that I expected knowing what I knew about him from the songs that I'd heard. So whether they're good or not, or whether you like them or not, you know, it's not my preferred style of music. So the thing that really bogged it down for me was that he put them like, not back to back, but I think maybe, you know, yeah. there was a song in between them. They were bunched together. And that, I'll call it the proverbial speed bump for me in the album because they were there close together. Yeah. And I had a favorite after that. It's not like I, I couldn't listen to the songs after that or enjoy the songs after that. But in the flow of the album, it might have been smarter to put them further apart. So, okay, here's this diverse thing that I do. Whether you like it or not, great. You put one up front and you put one in the back. 
then somebody who doesn't prefer that style of music doesn't get all hung up on the speed bump aspect of it. That's more of a potentially a sequencing thing within the context of the album, because the musical styles are so diverse. Look, it's a jazzy pop album and it plays like that. There's some acoustic driven songs more than others. There's a lot of horns on here. There's strings on songs. You were talking about the Beatles thing. There's one with strings on it. It's a little Beatlesque. And so it's sort of like the bar we were just talking about where nothing matches. So everything matches. That's okay with me. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. It wasn't like there was anything that was a real outlier, except maybe a little bit the rap hip hop songs because the vocal performance was different as well. Because the vocal performances are consistent with all the songs, regardless of the music, except in those two songs. They were a little bit of outliers for me. So you can see where it's going to be at the bottom when we get to the discussion of what's in my bottom of the album. But overall, I thought it was a really joyful sounding album to listen to. Joyful, I think, sums up how I feel when I listen to this album, too. His voice is beautiful. I love singing along to this album and it makes me feel good. It makes me feel happy. You know, the last album I assigned you, which was <laughs> Andy Grammer, we spent a lot of time talking about the lyrics and his attitude towards women. I don't think we're going to be spending a lot of time on that in this album, in my opinion. And again, I came to this album approximately at the same time I came to the Andy Grammer album. I had similar feelings about both albums back then. I think this album stands up much better lyrically than the Andy Grammer album. And I think part of that is in this album, he neither puts women on a pedestal, nor does he have any particularly problematic situations with women. I think his lyrics about women on this album are very realistic, actually, and show that he understands that women are people and are complex, especially on the last song, A Beautiful Mess. I think that song shows he has a very nuanced understanding of the person that he's singing about. And so given this album and the Andy Grammer album, not not necessarily back to back in the chronology of our podcast, but, you know, back to back my albums assigned to you. Those comparisons were certainly on my mind as I was prepping this album. And I was very pleased <laughs> with this album from that respect. There's another thing lyrically, though, that's interesting, Abigail. So, you know, I prepped the album like I always do, did the lyrical thing. Then I started going to read about Jason Mraz. And I didn't realize that in 2018, he came out or identified as bisexual. Mm. And now when you go back and read the lyrics, there are some lyrics in here that maybe were designed to hint at that. Maybe not. Maybe not necessarily talk about men, but talk about him hiding things or, and I'll point them out when we, when we get to them, because they took on new meeting after I read that about him. Hmm, interesting. And it's almost like he was confessing subtly in some of these lyrics the other thing about that, one of the comments was, you know, he was worried about coming out and, and identifying as bisexual because he thought he was going to get all this blowback and then nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting about that to me is that there may have been a self-esteem thing with him, you know, harboring that secret. And so he comes across in his writing way more complex and he comes across as way more humble, which I think was the problem with Andy Grammer. Andy Grammer never seemed humble to me. Well, there was no self-reflection. <laughs> exactly. And I think here... That's not the case. I think that's why the writing on this is better and more three-dimensional and more complex. The other person is in the story <laughs> as opposed to right. sometimes in the Andy Grammer songs. And then the other thing is he's very socially active and very philanthropic. And again, that goes back to what I was, you know, that self-reflection and this person who is a part of a bigger community mm -hmm. 
And again, I'll go back to what I just said about Andy Grammer. I never got a sense of that from Andy Grammer. Mm-hmm. It seemed like the world revolved around Andy Grammer. And I feel like this is a person who sees the whole world and all its complexities. And that's reflected in the writing. For the kind of uplifting jazzy pop you're going to hear, uh, some of these songs of writing is got a lot of depth to it. And one other trick he does, which is interesting, is we talked about it, I think, a little bit with David Byrne. The choruses aren't the same. Mm-hmm. The choruses advance the story. They're not they're the same musical pattern, but they're not the same lyrics. And so it tells a more complex story all the way through the song because he's not coming back to the chorus to kind of reflect what he just said in the verse. He's using the chorus to propel the story And he does that in a lot of these songs, which I thought was very, very clever. So we alluded earlier when we talked about the beer that we'll be drinking a Czech dark lager today. And Jason Mraz has Czech heritage. His last name is a Czech name. And then I just wanted to point out, because every time I think of Jason Mraz, I think of this and I think it's really clever. His second album from 2005 was called Mr. A to Z, because that's. His last name. Oh, right. Mr. A to Z. He sort of repurposed his last name to spell out Mr. A to Z, which I thought was very clever. So, Do you remember what I used to call him? No, I don't. I had a nickname for him every time. No. Every time it came up on the, you know, because the names come up on the thing on the radio, right? When it's playing on Sirius. Yeah. I used to call him Jason by a vow, Mraz. <laughs> I used to hate that when I said it. I do remember that now that you yeah, say it. Just, every time it came up, I said the exact same <laughs> dad joke. By a vow, Mraz. By, by a vow, vow Mraz. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, it was his grandfather who immigrated from Czechoslovakia. So I thought that was an interesting part of the story. Another interesting thing about his past was that I guess um, they were from Virginia or lived in Virginia. His parents divorced. And his sister lived with his mom, and he lived with his dad. Wow. That's how that's how they handled that divorce. And I thought that was a little odd, but anyway. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, I wonder how that impacts somebody, you know, that um, wow. to have that kind of... Well, and there's a song on this album about a divorce and his experience with that. That's what I was saying. A lot of these songs, there's kind of personal stuff in there. If you look back at his personal story and you think about him maybe hiding, you know, his sexuality for a long part of his career and still writing around that in subtle ways, they make more sense when you know that. It wouldn't jump out at you if you didn't. And then when you know it, there's a lot of personal stuff in these songs. I definitely think that's one of his strengths is like the pop hits on this album are pop gems. And... The complex songs are really complex, and he can do both. It would have been very easy to pick the first three tracks on this album as my first three favorites. Boom. Be done. Because they're all powerful in their own way. I didn't. That would have been very you. <laughs> it would have been very me. You tend to like the radio singles. <laughs> I didn't do that this time. Oh, wow. But it may have been after I read the lyrics that some of that moved around. Once I had a better handle on what some of the lyrics were, then a couple of my favorites in particular are because of that, because I thought the storytelling or the theme was so good that I thought, oh, that's a way better song than, you know, one of the radio hits, which are all great. Mm-hmm. All right, so how about we get into the track by track? I'm going to start off with track one. How about that for a shock? Unbelievable. (laughs) And it is one of the singles, I believe it was the second single from August of 2008, Make It Mine. Wake up, everyone. How can you sleep at a time like this unless the dreamer is the real you? Tells you to taste past the tip of your tongue, leap in 
you know that you just heard the best male pop vocal performance from the 52nd Grammy Awards. Wow. When I say a lot of it's like jazzy style pop, this is a great example of that. It almost gives you a 70s kind of vibe, like a Burt Bacharach 70s jazzy kind of vibe. I was thinking you were going to say yacht rock. <laughs> well, that's part of that. That falls into that, honestly. I feel like I want to listen to this song on a boat. <laughs> Actually, the whole album worked very well on the boat. What I find interesting about this song is, and, and we talked about there's similar songs on the Andy Grammer album. This is about going for it in your career. Mm-hmm. It's not a relationship song. It's not a love song. It's about just going for it, which I thought was a really great way to kick off the album. I didn't find any data on how high this rose on the charts. Let me see if I can find it. Here we go. I couldn't find any on the U.S. charts for this one either. Yeah, I can't either, but I, it's number eight in the Dutch top 40 in the Netherlands. It was number two Um, in Belgium. (laughs) Number two in Belgium. But this song was all over the place. I very much remember hearing this song when it was out. I know exactly why. Tell me. Because this was my wake up alarm song. Oh my. For a large period of time. (laughs) This is the one? This is the one. I mean, when the song starts with the lyrics, wake up everyone. How can you sleep at a time like this? That's a great point. (laughs) I woke up to this song for a long time. That's funny. A long time. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is you think that's how I heard it, but you know, I lived on the other side of the house and I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but you were always up by the time I was getting up, don't you think? Yeah, well, I think so. But this was from the era where sometimes I would have to text you to get you to come out for dinner. um, (laughs) That is not true. Just saying. Please come out for dinner wasn't good enough. I'd have to text you. So anyway, I do like this song very much. I hashtag this one like it might end up in my top three, and it did not. This is my third favorite. All right. How could it not be? I mean, I woke up to it every morning for a long, long time. I think it's beautiful. I agree with what you say. It's about following your dreams and crafting your life how you want to craft your life. But I think it's in a very realistic way. He's not giving any really crazy out there advice here. He's saying it's okay to take it one step at a time. He says timing's everything, which I think is crucial information. But I also love the line, leap and the net will appear. Yes, that's a great line. Like sometimes you can't wait for there to be a backup plan or a safety option. You need to just go for it and then figure it out as you go along. And so I really, really love that line. I feel happy when I listen to this song. I feel joyful. I feel inspired. And so it's my third favorite. The title, Make It Mine, gives it away, which is regardless of what happens, I'm going to make it mine. Right. It's not an expectation of greatness. It is an acceptance of, I'm going to try this and whatever happens, I'm going to make it mine. Right. Which I think is a way healthier approach. Yeah. Because if you go out and say, I'm going to be a superstar, and you're not, then you fail. But if you say, I'm going to try something and see what happens, then anything that happens is a success. Mm -hmm. As long as you're doing it your way. I'll give you a great example. This year, we've had year to year, twice the number of listeners that we had last year. That's pretty incredible. We're not drawing Joe Rogan numbers here. (laughs) 
<laughs> sort of exponentially growing, right? Which is kind of fun. It's not going to be for everybody. But the point of that was we've made it ours. Right. It is our thing. And you either come along for the ride or you don't. Either way, I'm here having a beer with you on a Saturday afternoon. So cheers. It's a Sunday, but the sentiment still stands. <laughs> I don't know what day of the week it is. <laughs> I figured it was a weekend because you were available. All right. That takes us to track number two. Track number two is the very first single from the album. And that's the one that if you haven't heard this, you have been living on the moon with Buzz Aldrin. This is called I'm Yours. tried to beat you, but you so hot that I melted. I fell right through the cracks. Now I'm trying to get back. Before the cool done run out, I'll be giving it my best. This and nothing's gonna stop me but divine intervention. I reckon it's again my turn to win some or learn some. But I won't hesitate no more, no more. It Cannot wait I'm yours For me, this is this is my favorite song on the album. I'll start with that. Wow. I love this style of music. I could listen to a whole album of this. In fact, I have. It's called Jack Johnson. <laughs> I hear this and I, I can't help but yeah. think of Jack Johnson albums, which I love. I hear this. It almost has a Hawaiian kind of in the rhythm it there. It feels very Hawaiian. Yes. So you're totally right. I love the style of music. This is what I thought the whole album was going to be. I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. So the first couple of times I played this, I like, well, wow, what? So it took me a while to get into the fact that this is almost an outlier on the album. You know, this and maybe the last track are the most acoustic songs on the album. This is the first one where I thought, in retrospect, reading the lyrics again, that there was some subtle things about his sexuality starting to come out. And there's a line, if we got to it in my clip or not. Well, open up your mind and see like me, open up your plans and damn you're free. It doesn't mean a lot out of context. It doesn't mean a lot in the context of the song. It's just kind of a really cool line. But it made me think about that. Is that a little bit of a social commentary? Subtle, but in there, like, open up your mind and you'll be free. This is sort of self-reflection that's going on that if you don't know this part of the story doesn't stand out. And if you do, it's almost like him giving you a little hint. And there's more like this throughout the album, more little lines like that. Some are more obvious even than this one. So in retrospect, I liked that. And this will give away sort of the next song of the three hits. This is the only one that landed in my top three. And it was things like that that made it seem more than what it was on face value initially to me that made it push up. And all the songs I picked in my favorites are like that. So yeah, I love this song. And this was a staple on the coffee house on Sirius. I mean, you heard this all the time and you still do. I mean, it's a, just a massive, massive hit. Yeah. And uh, for that reason, it's sort of... It's overplayed for you. And it's you're not overplayed for me. <laughs> yeah. You know exactly what I'm going to say. I've heard this too many times. It's not in my top three. It's still a song that I love. I love this song. I love singing this song. For me, what's really fun about his vocalization is that even in these songs where we don't really get any of the hip hop or the rap inspired lyrics, he still does kind of 
scatty things with his voice. Yes. Scat is more this where it's vocalizations without really words in it. Right. And he exactly does that in the song. Especially towards the end of songs. And he did it at the end of Make It Mine, too, where he'll take some of the lyrics he's written and he'll just repeat them a couple times and do fun things with the rhythm and fun things with his voice. That is why I think this album is so much fun to sing for me, because once you nail down where all the beats hit, it's really satisfying to sing along. I did not read any hints about what you're talking about with regard to his sexuality in the lyrics. For me, open up your plans and damn you're free just means like cancel other plans you have so you can hang out with me. It was more like there was a subtext to it Mm -hmm. having read that. I wouldn't have read that into that except knowing that he struggled with that for a long time and it wasn't until 2018 that he openly admitted it. Mm -hmm. So he knew this back then. Anyway, the point is that knowing that made me look at some of these lyrics with a little bit of a different look like, oh, he could be referencing. I'm not saying that it's obvious. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, oh, he could be referencing that in a subtle way here. It's like it's his confession without anybody else having to know about it but him. And when I get to the other ones, some of them I think will be a little bit more obvious to you. Yeah. I love the line, I tried to be chill, but you're so hot that I melted. Because we talked about this same thing when we talked about the Andy Grammer album. Around this time, it was really cool not to like things or not to feel things. Everyone was trying to be, whatever, it's chill, everything's fine. And he's here saying, well, I tried that and it didn't work for me. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I have to feel my feelings. I just love that. I think that's really charming. Yep. That's a really, really good song. It deserves all the notoriety it got. Well-performed, well-written, and to have that kind of smash success is That's pretty impressive in the middle of the pop world. That's true. To have that much success with that kind of song. Songs were really, really highly produced during this era. Exactly. So, yeah, your point is really great. It's kind of the antithesis of what would have been a hit in that era. Major hit. I'm talking about, you just rattled off. It was number one on three charts. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I brought up Kesha. Her major success was during the same time. And her stuff is immensely produced. Produced to the hilt, you know? Now, that's not to say that there's not other stuff on this album that isn't massively produced. Sure. I read somewhere else, too, that a lot of songs on here, he had released some EPs where a lot of these songs were acoustic. That's probably how he wrote a lot of these songs. So this album is produced, as you're going to see as we go through it. But it's interesting that the biggest hit from the album is the way he wrote it or designed it to be. Mm -hmm. So that takes us to the third single (laughs) from January of 2009. Let's get them all out of the way early. This is the one you mentioned before where he did a duet with Kobe Calais. That's the song Lucky. Do you hear me talking to you across the water, across the deep? Blue ocean under the open sky. Oh my, baby, I'm trying. Boy, I hear you in my dreams. I feel you whisper across the sea. I keep you with me in my heart. You make it easier when life gets hard. Lucky I'm in love with my best friend. Lucky to have been where I have been Lucky to be coming home again Ooh. 
like I said before, this was um, another big hit. It went to number eight, I believe. Number nine, I'm sorry, on the adult top 40 on the Billboard charts. And this was another staple of Serious Coffee House. I heard this oh, yeah. to death. Again, I hashtagged it as if it might land in my top three, and it did not. Not much to talk about. It's a pretty straightforward love song duet. Very well done. I like Kobe Calais stuff. Just as an aside, I, I'm familiar with her stuff. Also, a lot of coffee house songs uh, from her. Oh, yeah. And really enjoyed that. So I thought this was a beautifully done song, but it's pretty simple lyrically. And I was looking for a little more complexity once I discovered it was in here. So it didn't land in my top three. Yeah. So, I mean, similar to the last song, I'm Yours, this one was played to death, so it doesn't make my top three. But I do love this song. I think their harmonies are so beautiful in this song, and they harmonize a lot throughout it. It's not that they harmonize on key words to make a point. They spend a lot of this song harmonizing, even in some of the vocalizations without words. They're harmonizing, and I think it's really beautiful. And I love the sentiment of, I'm lucky I'm in love with my best friend. I mean, I think that's such a beautiful thing to strive for. And it's kind of a cliche at this point, right? But like, I really do believe that that's what you want deep down, is to be best friends with the person that you are in love with. And so I think this is a really beautiful song, but it's not in my top three. If I'm not mistaken, does Colby Calais make an appearance on one of our top favorite albums? She does. It's Love Songs, right? So you think it was on Love Songs? I think it is. I put those playlists up on Spotify, so I'll try to get over there and peek too. Here we go. Favorite Love Songs? I Do. By Colby Calais. By Colby Calais. All right, there we go. My memory was good for that. Who picked it? Brooke? I think it was Brooke. Because on the on the Spotify list, I don't know who selected it. I don't have the discs in front of me where this would all be solved. Yeah. <laughs> I I do think that one was Brooke, though. This reminds me that uh, all of these lists do appear on Spotify. We should put the link to the one with Kobe Calais just for fun in the show notes so people can hear what that looks like. That would be the uh, our favorite love songs where everybody in the family submitted their favorite love song and then your uncle Derek and I arranged them into a playlist well, into a CD basically like a an old playlist back in the day and gave it to everybody for Christmas that year. And I see Al City is on this album. So that'll be good because we may have a Owl City discussion later in this episode. And that's a teaser. Owl City must have been Zach's pick. Uh, the Bird and the Worm? That seems like a Zach love song pick. Oh, from... that might have been mine. Because I, I don't remember what I picked on this All right, album. You're going to make me go get the actual disc <laughs> so I know whose is whose. Yeah, who, right? sorry. If you're the bird, whenever we pretend it's summer, then I'm the worm. I know the part, it's such a bummer, but fair is fair. If my segments get separated, I'll scream, and you'll be there. All right. Close your eyes. Sorry, I was just reminding myself what the bird and the worm sounds like. <laughs> I'm glad you have the on there in case I bring up a... I didn't have a track for Al City picked in my head. I just had a vocal performance that reminded me of it later. All right, so I have in front of me the disc. I will also share this artwork on the website so everybody can see the lovely Hummel Love artwork. Oh, fun. So Brooke Was I Do by Kobe Calais. Uh, the bird and the worm was Abigail Hummel. Nice. And that begs the question, what on earth would Zach Hummel pick? And he picked, <laughs> are you ready for this one? Yeah. 
The Things We Do for Love by 10CC. Good for him. Now, let me tell you. Me no, tell you I know. Why. I know. <laughs> you know why he knows that, right? Talk about Yacht Rock. So I didn't call it Yacht Rock, right? What did I call it? The Wussiest Hits of the 70s. Wussiest Hits of the 70s. And I, when I first got Sirius Radio, they had the 70s channel, and I played it all the time. It was like this weird time capsule where I was being reminded of songs. And I would be in the car and I'd be writing stuff down like, oh, my God, I forgot <laughs> about that one. And so I compiled a list of what I ended up calling the wussiest hits of the 70s. And I made these discs. I have three of them. And that song appeared on it, The Things We Do for Love, that everybody would call now yacht rock songs from the 70s. It's a, gr it's a great song. It's a fabulous song. Well, 10CC is a fabulous band. So anyway, that song was on that disc, which we played in the car to death. And Zach loved that song. <laughs> when it came on, he would sing that song. And so that was his love song pick. That's a great choice. This album was from 2011. So he would have been 14. That was his love song pick. And you picked The Bird and the Worm. Yeah, which so was a weird choice. I think you said at one point you were going to go back and redo these because all the younger kids need a, to be able to redo their selections. Yeah. I think the old timers might pick the same songs, but I think the younger generation would like to have another crack at that. All right. Let's wrap up this first beer by going to track number four. Track number four is a rough one for me. It's called Butterfly. Curl your upper lip up and let me look around. Ride your tongue along your bottom lip then bite down. And bend your back in as those hips if I can touch. Because they're the perfect jumping off point. Getting closer to your butterfly. We float on by. You've got it all You make a call to make my day In your message say my name Your talk is all the talk Sister, you've got it all You've got it all, you've got it all, you've got it all You've got it all, you've got it all, you've got it all You've got it all Clearly a jazzy pop song The entire song's about sex <laughs> And butterflies, not an insect. Correct. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go any further. Otherwise, you'll have to hit the explicit tag. Depending on the clip you chose, we might have had to hit the explicit tag. Well, the thing about it is it's about as explicit as it can be without being explicit. Yeah. I mean, the line is, and I could say it safely because it's just talking about insects. <laughs> and bend your back and ask those hips if I can touch. Because they're the perfect jumping off point getting closer to your butterfly <laughs> da, 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 insect. It's an insect with two wings. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just thought I was a little over the top. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I get it. It's not double entendre. It's almost explicit, right? A lot of sex talk in this song. But it's so fun. But it sounds great. The horns. Musically, well, this is the thing, right? You listen to it. I had no idea what the song was about. I mean, I kind of got an idea listening to it before I read the lyrics. It's pretty obvious even just listening to it. Yeah, Butterfly, Shmutterfly. I didn't know what it was all about until I read it. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, now that's in my head and I can't get it out. So anyway, 
Let me look and see what I did the first time I listened to the album, because that's always a tell, right? Yeah. I did not put a star next to this the first time I heard it. Really? So something about it stuck out with me even the first time I heard it, <laughs> and I did not give it a star. And there's only three songs on here I didn't give a star to the first time through. Oh, wow. So, you know, I like the vast majority of the album. And it's funny, the two hip-hop ones are two of them. And this one. Oh, and this one. Isn't that weird? Weird. Yeah, that is weird. And I don't know why, because musically, I think this is a totally enjoyable song. But there was just something about it, even the first time through. And maybe it was coming off of the Andy Grammer album, where so much of that was sort of hierarchical, right? Mm -hmm. The guy was always in charge. The just thought of that album was Andy Grammer was in charge of his world. And maybe when I heard this coming off that album, I was like, oh, it's one of those. Now, when you read it, it's not, but then I had a different kind of problem with it. Hmm. I didn't know if it needed to be quite as explicit as it was. And I found this one not particularly more explicit than Swimming in Your Ocean from the Crash Test Dummies album. Yeah, well, okay. Now, I can understand where you're coming with that. I think those are equivalent in terms of... When I kneel before your bounty is a line from the Crash Test Dummies. Yeah, but so it's when I sample from your bosom and is my seed going to find purchase in your soil? <laughs> okay, but I'm. can I jump from your hips to your butterfly? I'm just thinking that's a little bit more explicit. <laughs> to me, it's roughly equivalent. And this one, the music is more enjoyable. So I have never had a problem with this song. Yeah, like, oh, it was a little taboo when I first heard the album because I was like, oh, oh my gosh, like, who's so scandalous? But like, I don't think it's any more explicit than a lot of pop songs that you hear on the radio. And I think the music itself is more interesting, more enjoyable and sexier than a lot of music you hear on the radio. So overall, this song wins out for me. I'm not debating that. I picked the section I played because some of the most explicit language is in that one particular verse, right? Yeah. Curl your upper lip and let me look around. Ride your tongue along your bottom lip, then bite down. You know what I mean? No, I get it. Here I kneel before your bounty. I understand. So that's all I'm saying. And I didn't pick up a lot of that just on a cold listen. I picked that up really by reading it. Even if you did not listen to any of the lyrics, like musically, this song is sexy. The horns and the way he's singing is very sultry. The music itself, I find, oozes sexiness. So even if you were to ignore the lyrics entirely, I get that you might have picked up on that from the music alone. But I wouldn't have poo-pooed it based on the music alone. I must have picked something up even on the first listen. Because yeah. normally when I do a first listen, I am really just having an initial gut reaction to the song. Right. And you would think my gut reaction to this would have been way more positive. So why did I say, no, this is not, I'm not going to mark this one off. I don't know. I, I, I can't go back and unring that bell now that I, I know much more about the song. But for some reason, I didn't mark it off as uh, something that jumped out at me, which is weird because it's got a lot of things I like about music. Mm -hmm. I think maybe it was in the verses, there's a little more of a darker overtone to some of the music. It's not minor key, and it's not what I'm looking for. But anyway, something about it stood out the first time I listened to it. So I have a complex relationship with this song. <laughs> hey, that's allowed. All right, that's four tracks. I think we need to give a rating on our first beer selection of the day. Once again, to remind everybody, we're drinking uh, Lucky Strikes, which is a West Coast Pilsner by Petty Thieves Brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina. And shout out to our beer tender for the day, Dr. Michael McCrowan, for his fine selections. And I am going to defer to you first. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I don't think we're going to spend 
this much time with any other of the beers today because we we did the full four tracks and we also did the intro. So I have had almost all of it. It has changed very little over the course of it warming, which I actually appreciate because I come into a lot of these tastings being like, oh, well, I like it now, but who knows seven sips later or when it warms up, especially with taster glasses, like those warm fast, they can change very drastically from the first sip to the last sip. And I like a beer that is consistent, right? Like I know what I'm going to get with this beer from the first sip to the last. That's very impressive to me. It's very easy to drink despite the hoppiness, which is not a flavor I prefer, but I think it works really well in this beer because it's not bitter. It is hoppy, but not overwhelmingly so. And it's still very easy to drink. I mean, I had almost the whole tall boy. That is rare for me, honestly. So I'm going to give it a 3.75. And I... Really wish I had tents here because as Pilsners go, I think this is pretty spectacular. And it is because of the hoppiness. It's like a single flavor. It's not particularly bitter. A little bit piney, I think. Definitely. Given our limitations of quarter point increments on untapped, I'm going to round this up to a four. Okay. I think I would give it a three nine if I had tents. So I think it deserves a four in the quarter point increments. It's so interesting. It's almost not a Pilsner. That is a completely fair critique. Yeah. If I went somewhere and was like, give me your finest Pilsner, and I was given this, an APA would be a better descriptor of this. Yeah, I agree. And again, without notes about the brewing, we don't know what yeast and this and that, whatever they used to say, oh, we're going to call it a Pilsner or West Coast Pilsner or whatever it is. But yeah, it drinks more like an APA, which I'm fine with. So in the Pilsner category, I got to give it a really high rating because <laughs> it's got stronger flavors than most of your Pilsners. So I'm in for a four and I'm going to write that on the bottom of the can. This is another one of those where I don't want to write on the label because um, I want to save the label. I'm more likely to drink this than an IPA. This might be a great style for me who, you know, sometimes you want a little hoppiness and bitterness, but IPAs have such a range in what you could get. So this might be a more consistent, less intense style for folks like me. All right. I have just cracked open our second selection of the day, which is Petty Thieves Echoes of Sacrificial Voices. And on my pour, I have less than a finger of foam on that. It is a very dark beer, brown in color. And it says on the can, the following, I got to read this. Now, this is going to be tricky because, you know, I have old man eyes and it's a tan font on a black can. So bear with me as I struggle with this. The vistas and landscapes, the air around us, filled with the shadows of those who walked before us, living flickers on paper and in rock, like smoke, here and gone. But not entirely. Lingerers. Fingerprints buried under layers of paint. Mysteries. A scratch under your skin. Facing you in the reflection. A walking, breathing collection of time and story. Now is not now. The thread is there to follow. Didn't learn much about the beer. What does any of it mean? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But it's a good looking beer. And again, the can artwork is fabulous. Kind of a great name and whole ethos for reviewing music, right? Echoes of Lost Voices. Echoes of Sacrificial Voices. Oh, sorry. Sacrificial Voices. And that is a tasty beer. Whoa. Dark and malty. Slightly sweet. That's really fabulous. So when I opened it, I caught a whiff of chocolate. What? A whiff? A whiff. So sorry that you weren't able to experience that. Thanks for sharing. But the chocolate, I'm not finding in the flavor. 
And again, as we always say, we'll wait for it to warm up. But I smelled chocolate when I cracked the can, and I'm not really getting that on the tongue. There's a roastiness to it, but it's very mellow. It's actually my preferred level of roastiness. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of perfect. Yeah, it's more of a multi-character. It's a sweetness. It's a multi-sweetness, but it's not super sweet. No, definitely not. Did you say the ABV on this? I did not, but I can. It's 4.8%. Oh, wow. Less than the last one, even. Yeah. We might get through all these cans today without us having a big debate about the sequencing. The sequencing of the <laughs> album or the sequencing yeah, of the beer? <laughs> I find that the more of these tall boys I drink, the more I critique the sequencing at the end of the episode. <laughs> Reference Corey Chisel. <laughs> Philip Phillips is pretty, we get pretty rough towards the end there. Yeah. Anyway, that's a really good beer. I'm really impressed with that. It's well balanced. It, you know, has that slight maltiness to it. For me, it barely registers as sweet. And the roastiness is a really nice level for me. And now that I've smelled the chocolate, I kind of am missing it from the flavor. Well, so am I. So that's good. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. At least we're even there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're in the middle third of the album, the middle four songs. We're going to start off with track number five, and that is the song Live High. And try to picture the man to always have an open hand and see him as a given tree see him as matter a matter of fact he's not a beast oh no not the devil either always a good deed doer and it's laughter that we're making after all the call of the wild is still in order nationwide in the order of the primates all our pilots are too late oh my the congregation in my mind is this assembly singing of gratitude practicing their loving for you live high live mighty live righteously My first comment is that the verse there is where I heard the Al City vocals. Oh. There's a way he phrases a couple of his sentences in there that has a similar vocal pattern to the guy from Al City. Interesting. That was why I brought that up earlier. I think this song's fabulous. To me, it's a commentary about organized religion. You don't say. (laughs) Yeah. In a good way. It's about the choice that we should all make to live righteously for the right reasons. That we shouldn't need an organized religion to tell us to do that. And in fact, maybe that's not the best group to be telling us that. And I find that really, really powerful. By the way, this is the one, and I didn't play this section of the song, but um, it escalates, right? It starts off, it's got this kind of a slow acoustic burn early on, and it leads into the chorus being sung by a gospel chorus. This is the one I referenced earlier, where at the end of it, there's this applause And I really think it's about the performance of the gospel chorus because that's really, really great at the end of it. The fact that they bring in a gospel chorus to sing about living righteously for the right reasons is great. Mm -hmm. So this is my third favorite song on the album. That's a great choice. Yeah, I love this song. And I love the verse you picked because that's the verse where he talks about politics. And this was going on in 2008, but I think it's even more so now how religion and politics in the United States are so intertwined. and they should not be. 
I really appreciate his commentary on that. I listen to a podcast these days called the Friendly Atheist Podcast, and they do it weekly, and they do news mostly about religion and politics intersecting. It is mostly about separation of church and state. You know, it's not, they're not debating religion at all in the podcast. They are just delivering news <laughs> about separation of church and state and where that is being impacted. And I find it very infuriating. And also it's my preferred news podcast these days. <laughs> You know, I've been thinking about that a lot, and this song just ties in perfectly to that. But I also love the message in both of his verses where, in general, he's talking about seeing people as complex beings. The opening verse, he says, see that girl as her own new world, though a home is on the surface, she is still a universe. You know, she is a human being on this planet, but inside her is a whole universe. She's a whole person, complex. She has her own life, her own story. I really appreciated that. And then in the second verse, he's talking about a man. Matter of fact, he's not a beast. Oh, not the devil either. Like, it can go both ways. There's no good and evil, right? Right, right, right. Everyone has these shades of gray inside them. I really appreciate that take. I think it's a really lovely and nuanced take. And maybe religion is supposed to make us see that. I would argue that a lot of the time religion sort of defaults to the black and white type of thinking. So whatever his commentary is about religion interacting with how we perceive people in their sort of inner lives, I appreciate his perspective on it, whether or not that is derived from any religion or spirituality that he himself holds, because I don't know anything about his religion or spirituality, if he has any. And like a lot of songs with this kind of theme... There's the scientific references thrown in, carbon atoms, mm -hmm. primates. There's the scientific background of that and how that plays into it. And I would argue that you were talking about the shades of gray. It's not all black and white. Remember that I'm arguing he's also dealing with his sexuality as he's writing these, whether he's admitted that openly or not. And so when we're talking about that level of complexity, the whole universe inside and all the things and then having other people judge that because of the black and white that you were referencing earlier. Yeah. I think there's a lot of levels that this song touches on that are really fascinating. So, yeah, I think it's really well written. I'll just say, uh, it's interesting, the podcast we're talking about, I'm getting to the point where I think that churches should be taxed and not tax exempt because they're all involved in politics. So I don't think they should be tax exempt anymore. If I go to advocate for something and I go over the board with my 501c3 and get pegged as a lobbying organization, I lose that tax exempt status. So I don't think a pastor should be standing in front of a church telling people how to vote and having a tax exempt status. Those themes are in this song. And I think about those themes on a day-to-day -day basis. And so that is why this one resonated with me in a lot of very complicated ways. I think it's really well done. All right, moving on on the album. Our next track is track number six. This is called Love for a Child. When the house was left in shambles, well, who was there to handle all the broken bits of glass? Was it mom who put my dad out on his ass or the other way around? Well, I'm far too old to care about that now.
Obviously, we talked earlier about the fact that the, his parents had divorced and his sister went to live with the mom and he lived with his dad. And I feel like this song is very autobiographical. You know, he's talking about very specific things about, I don't know if it's in a clip I played or not, things like they didn't even bother looking at my grades. And, they, you know, there, there were so many other things going on that they were kind of on their own. So it's a really sad song. I mean, I like it for what it is, but it's a pretty deep, thought-provoking, sad song powerful in that way i i don't know that it resonated with me overall on the album so it's not it's in the bottom third of this one. Oh wow this is my on the cusp song wow this is my fourth favorite yeah not because <laughs> it resonates with me in any personal way obviously i had great parenting let me make that perfectly clear <laughs> what i tried so hard to screw that up it like you said it's very personal and i buy his emotion in this one. Oh yeah he sings in a very emotional way and it doesn't seem forced it doesn't seem over the top it sounds like a very sort of matter of fact discussion of what he went through and how that has affected him to this day and this was one of the first songs that i remember hearing on this album aside from the two that were all over the radio of course like this this was the first one i think if i remember correctly that dakota played for me and it's so incredible. It's just such a layered, beautiful song. His vocals are gorgeous. And it is incredibly heartbreaking, right? But the fact that he's able to reflect on his childhood like that and have such a complete and nuanced understanding of everything that was going on, the pros and the cons, or what he perceived as pros back then that he's now realizing was neglect. Right. And I just think that's really amazing. And so I really, really appreciate this song. And I think it's beautiful. Yeah, that line that's in the section I played, what about taking this empty cup and filling it up with a little bit more of innocence? He lost his childhood. There's another line later where he says, I'm enjoying both of my Christmases and my birthday cakes. Yeah. Which, in retrospect, clearly he realizes was the dumbest thing to be excited about. Oh, I got two Christmases and two birthday cakes. Right. But I didn't get what I really needed out of my parents, you know? Right. So I'm not arguing any of that. I think it's a really well done song. I think the reason I had a negative response to it is on this poppy, jazzy album, it's a very complex, deep, probably the most personal song on here. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's not why I came to the album. Right. If I'm ranking the songs, mm -hmm. where does this one stack up on the album? If we had a more acoustic driven album, and not such a jazzy pop album, this wouldn't feel that out of place. That'd be that's a different album. Right. But that's sort of the issue with this album is it goes all over the place musically. And so when you look at it as a package, some things fall on the outside of what the normal bell curve of this album is. And this one falls outside the bell curve of the album. Oh, interesting. See, I feel this falls well within the bell curve of this album. Just like you said, I mean, it goes all over the place, but this is in there. This style of music is represented in other songs on the album. The jazzy poppy stuff is represented and Heck, even like rap hip hop is represented. So when you have that variety of styles on an album, it's hard to say that anything is outside of the norm. So then it becomes your personal preference, which is outside the norm. Yeah, sure. That's why I'm saying the hip hop for me is at the bottom. I'm saying this one's at the bottom. Out of this collection of diverse musical styles. Yeah. It's not outside the bell curve on the complexity of the writing because all the songs have some additional levels of complexity in the writing that I find fascinating. Mm -hmm. That's not the issue here. I will add that there was a little bit of a vibe in that 
verse that I played, I have a little note, Freddie Mercury slash jukebox, the ghost. There's some vocal pattern in that verse that made me think of those guys. Interesting. Wow. Just the way that he sang that. I love several of the lines in the song, but one of the ones in the clip you played was, was it mom who put my dad out on his ass or the other way around? Well, I'm far too old to care about that now. The details of what actually happened don't matter. What matters is the impact that that had on his psyche. You know, I just think it's so like this man has clearly been to therapy and I appreciate that so much. I just love that he seems like he's a really self-aware, self-reflective guy. I love when that is clear from these songs. Yeah, which goes back to what we said about the difference between this album and the Andy Graham album. (laughs) A self-awareness of my place in the entire world and what that means for other people in it. This is a song that shows you what the impact of other people upon me is. So now I'm going to be smart enough not to do that to other people. Right. That takes us to track number seven. This is the one you referenced earlier that features James Morrison. This is called Details in the Fabric. Are the details in the fabric Are the things that make you panic all your thoughts, results of static claim Are the things that make you blow Have no reason, go on and scream If you're shocked, it's just the fault of faulty manufacturing Everything your own, know your name, go your own way, hold your all own. the details in the fabric, know your all name. the things that make you panic, go all your thoughts, way. results of static claim. So do you know, Abigail, that were there two voices in that section there? Yeah. Is that the James Morrison section? So the, the verse that was sung before the everything will be fine refrain that was james morrison with the raspier voice yes yeah the song okay. the song of his that you might know best and i know for a fact we heard this on serious radio but i don't know if you picked up on it or have any memory of it it's called under the influence do you want me to play a little bit of it yeah play some of that I remember that 
And one of the reasons I remember it is because every time it came on, I looked down to see who sang it because it reminds me of Ray LaMontagne. He sounds a lot like, yes, yes. And so I kept saying, is that another, I got to get that Ray LaMontagne album because, oh, oh that's not him. That's so uh, funny. <laughs> I never listened to this album, but I did buy that song on iTunes. I was massively into this song. Yeah, I like that vocal style and I like the Ray LaMontagne vocal style also. And and by the way, I don't own any of it yet anyway. So I have to make a note. Let me write that down. I actually have a Ray LaMontagne on my like backup list for this podcast. Oh, maybe I won't yes. buy it then. I'll wait. I'll hold <laughs> off. So the other thing about this to add to the discussion is it starts with a what sounds like a friend calling and leaving a voice message and it ends with that. It's really hard to hear what he says. It's not mixed very well, which makes me think that it's real, that they're real voice messages, that it's not staged for purposes of the song. But I feel like this song's about a friend of his that's struggling, maybe with some mental health issues or something like that. Coming off the last one, it's kind of a slow burn. It's similar musically, but this one resonated more for me for some reason than the last one. And I, and I think it's because I got the sense that he's writing about a third person character from his life that really exists. And he's put that phone message stuff in there. So you know, he really exists. It's not a made up story about a friend who's struggling. And I thought that was really, really good. So the first time through, I marked this off as one that I liked, even come out of the last one, which was very similar musically. There was something about this one that I liked better the first time through, but it's not in my top three. It's not in my top three either. I find this song gorgeous. It is just a touch too slow for me, you know, since you brought up the comparison of this one to Love for a Child. But for a child is a little faster in tempo. And so I think that's why I prefer that song to this one. Although this song is gorgeous. I have so much love for it. Their harmonies are beautiful. I love the writing in this one. I love the part where he says, if it's a broken part, replace it. If it's a broken arm, then brace it. If it's a broken heart, then face it. It goes back to, you know, the rhyming is very present on this album. And what an amazing piece of advice right there. You could embroider that on a pillow and put it in your home. It's magnificent. And it's just casually in this song, you know? Yeah. And I had a hard time picking a clip for this one because I like that line so much. But I like the line in the part that I played a little bit better was if you're shocked that it's just the fault of faulty manufacturing. Yeah. Going back to like a lot of these mental health things are not about necessarily any choice that you made, but that there's a biochemistry thing at work that you don't even have control over. Yeah. Everybody struggles with that. We all have this kind of inherent biochemistry that makes us think the way we think and act the way we act and try to wrap our heads around that and do better or be better when this other thing is to some degree controlling it because of just basic wiring of your brain, I thought was really, really a great line. So the line you picked was sort of like this life advice about, well, if it's this, you can do it. If it's this, you can do it. It's sort of like a self-help book. But what I liked was the self-help part only goes so far until you understand that some of these things are outside of your control mm -hmm. and it's okay right? to just say, well, if it's a broken heart, face it. You can read that as well, just do it. Yeah. Stop being so sad. <laughs> yeah. Stop being sad. And the other thing was more about there's a basis for why you're sad. Understand that. And then that advice 
you can work with it better. Yeah. So I thought this line was more powerful because of that. That's really lovely. And I'm making the assumption that it's a male friend based on the voicemails and based on the fact that the collaborator in the song was a man as well. And it's nice to see two men being able to talk about mental health in this way. Not common. <laughs> it's not, not a common. common it's not a common Even thing. in 2023. And as a reminder, this was released in 2008. So yeah. from that perspective, I think overall, he has this really, really healthy understanding of his psyche and his relationship to others. And I'm going to keep calling it out because I'm so impressed with it. Well, with that, shall we move on to track eight? I think we shall. All right. The final track of the middle third, which means you better sip on that beer a little faster. <laughs> this is track number eight called Coyotes. I'm sipping coffee at a quarter to two. Awaken, I'm dialing and my mind's running to you. No wonder I'm a one-woman man. She keeps my heart in a jar and a nightstand. I should tell her that she couldn't be more. Opposite than a foot in the door. There's no one else I would rather go out with. It's hell when I see them standing there. Me in my mouth, we don't mean to be rushing. We talk about thee freely cause we crush it. I'm gonna shake both sides of the butt, yeah. Theoretically, yes, ain't we lucky? And when the coyotes, they sing in the park. Soon the city life starts falling for the sea. Winding roads are winding down and the flying men will hit the ground. Every notion is closer to touching the coyote sing when they call on your loving. So this is the first one that would have, as described by your brother, hip hop flow. <laughs> <laughs> I love when you say that. <laughs> well, and what Zach to understand, I learned something that day. Clearly it's written with hip hop style lyrics. It's darker musically and i would dare say that this is the only set of lyrics on the album that seem a little stalkerish to me we were talking about how most of the relationship songs whether they're friendships or whether they're family relationships whatever it is he's talking about everybody's on equal footing in the songs except maybe a little bit here and so this is my least favorite on the album as a result of that this one fell to the bottom for me because of all of that hey we matched <laughs> did we really this is also my least favorite why why did it fall the bottom for you so the other really really rap inspired song on this album is the dynamo of volition and i happen to love that song so the reason i just like this song is not because it is rap inspired i just find his flow is less impressive in this song i mean even at the beginning the first few lines that you played the flow seems a little stilted it doesn't match up with the music terribly well. I mean, there's sparse music in that part anyway, but it just doesn't feel flowy to me, <laughs> for lack of a better term. <laughs> Authentic, maybe? Yeah. And you're right that it has like a darker, ominous sound to it, which I don't prefer because the overwhelming feeling on this album is joy. And if not joy, then certainly thoughtfulness. And I don't get that at all from this song. And... I can't really parse what the lyrics mean in any meaningful way. So all of that combined. Oh, and there's children singing in this song for some reason. Yeah. At the very end, in a stalkerish song, there's yeah. kids in the choir at the end. 
Yeah. I don't get it. I don't like it. That's probably what tipped me over the edge. Now, I forgot to reference that, but the kids at the end is disturbs me. It's yeah. I don't know why, but it disturbs me as well. I don't like it. It wouldn't have disturbed me in the song about religion. It disturbed me because this song had the stalkerish overtones to it and the dark music. And now why are kids involved? And it's just I, very disjointed and so all of those reasons combined are why it is my least favorite i was wondering if this was of all the songs on here the most of a confessional about his struggle with his sexuality and am i going to read you one line take it for what it's worth and that's the line i want to shake both sides of the butt yeah <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense no it makes no sense at all or does it so i thought you were going to read the line no wonder I'm a one-woman man. She keeps my heart in a jar on the nightstand. That's the other one I highlighted, but for a different reason. We'll come back to that one. Okay. Because if she is controlling him, not allowing him to explore his sexuality or express himself how he wants, like that could read that way to me. I simply don't get the, the line about the shaking both sides of the butt. So I would prefer to just throw that one out as evidence entirely. It doesn't make sense in context. It doesn't make sense outside of context. Well, the both sides was the only reason I, I keep it. Oh, I see. Take the butt out of it. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Whatever you want to do. It's yeah, funny. yeah, that's your choice. <laughs> you guys decide amongst yourselves. The line she keeps my heart in a jar on the nightstand. The only reason I highlighted that is because I just want, you know, Uncle Steve made a movie years ago called The Indescribable Anth, which was based on a book that he'd written. He wrote a little children's book that he and his friend Al Holter actually hand printed with an old printing press. I have a copy here somewhere. It's a little tiny book. It was a beautiful little thing with his illustrations. And years later, he made an independent animated short out of The Indescribable Anth. That Zachary is a voice actor. And Zachary, your brother... <laughs> It's a voice actor. He played the crying baby in the film. And that's a great story of going down to Hollywood to a sound studio and I had to make him laugh <laughs> and, and I had to make cry. him cry was my two cues at the sound studio. I wish I had pictures of that day. Who had a phone? I'd, so if, if we awesome. had phones, we'd have had pictures, right? But I'll put a link up for that film. It's a fabulous film. And the whole plot is about a woman who has this guy's heart in a snow globe. So I saw that line and I thought, oh my God, it's like the indescribable anth. Oh, yeah. So Zach and I both have IMDb pages, but that's the only credit yeah, that's on his only Zach's credit. IMDb page. And he's listed as an actress. <laughs> oh my God. I think we can get access to that and fix it, can't we? Can we put his headshot up? We have to. It's a baby photo, right? <laughs> so that wraps up track eight, which means we're four songs through and we've got to rate this beer and go on to the last one. I'm not even close on this. Don't beer. worry about it. Put a cork in it, save them for later. Put a cork in it, Hummel. I'm in the same position I was last time. I'm between three, seven, five, and a four, and I'm going to round it up again to a four. I think this is really, really good. I'm not a lager guy, but again, this one has enough interesting flavors to it that yeah, I got to push it up. I'm giving this one a four. I'm going to go for it as well. I don't think this drinks like a lager. I think it drinks closer to a porter. But with a 4.8 ABV, it's hard to find that in a porter. So um, this is pretty incredible. Yeah, very tasty. I have I still haven't gotten any chocolate, but that's okay. The roastiness is about as perfect of a level as you can get. It's still not sweet. Just sweet enough. I'm not reading like any sweetness in this. But you know, we talk about malt sometimes. We go, oh, it's not sweet. It's bready. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is really bready. I think. No, I would 
agree with that. Yeah. There's a sweetness to it that's clearly malty in nature. Yes. I do think if I was going to put it, you know, what's a adjacent category, I'd say a porter for all the reasons we just talked about. And I love porters. So this is pretty tailor-made for me, honestly, and I very much enjoy it. So I'm giving it a 4.0. All right. So that completes our echoes of sacrificial voices, which moves us on to my selection of the day. Not really your selection. (laughs) Well, no, I didn't choose it. Thank you, Dr. Mike. But we're coming around to a category that I love. So Your beer of choice. Based on how much I love the previous two, I can only hope that this is going to be spectacular. And this is called Basking in the Glow of Self-Approval, which, again, seems more like a an Andy Grammer beer than a Jason Mraz beer. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. I was thinking self-actualization, and I was like, that's more Jason Mraz, but self-approval and self-actualization are, are different things, I guess. They're two <laughs> different things. So important. Now, much like the first. Did you say what the style was or anything? It's a hazy IPA. <laughs> I was pouring it in the glass. I'm going to read about it in a minute. It's got two Dave Salatoris fingers of foam on it. I don't know why that's become the scale, <laughs> but it has. You know what he needs to do? Dave Z, if you're listening, you should make merch that's just like. One finger and you could just two yeah, fingers. Two fingers and you can measure the foam based on that. It's like a measuring tape, but it's fingers. And they're modeled after your fingers. Yeah, width, like a width thing that you could put on the glass. Yeah, yeah. Almost like a like a wristband. Those metal, like the things, slap bracelet. That yeah. That go around the glass right at the level of the foam. Oh, my God. I would totally buy one. All right. Well, if he doesn't do it, Dave, if you're listening and you don't do that, we're doing that. You, so, have, uh... you have first dibs on the idea. <laughs> You got and three if weeks. not, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> three weeks from when this episode drops, not from August today. 4th. Three weeks from August 4th. Uh, this is 7% ABV, so it's the strongest one of the day. And I'm going to read the poetry on the back that will tell us nothing about how the beer was made, but I've got to read it anyway because it's delightful. Basking in the glow of self-approval or how I stopped worrying and learned to love the hum. Only the past is presented in razor sharp focus. The future is so hazy, murky, misshapen, obscure, with the day so hostile. Go easy on. Now is all you have, and only stories will you take. There is comfort in chaos if you posture in the right stance. Don't let them see you coming. Let your weird down to walk around. So... I need you to, in your best Yoda impression, say, only stories will you take. Only stories will you take. (laughs) Thank you. That was exactly what I wanted. I I can't read the whole thing, so I'm glad you only asked for that line. That was all you have, and only stories will you take. (laughs) That's it. There goes my voice for the day. So, it's hazy, baby. Look at this. Oh my God. Yeah. Ooh, it looks just like but grapefruit it, juice. But is it hazy? That always, I always think of that beer we had at Oviedo Brewing Company, but is it hazy? The answer here is yes. Oh my God. Is it good? Oh, it's so good. You're going to like that one. That's my prediction. Ooh, it's like drinking juice. It's like drinking juice. It's not bitter at all. Tiny bit. It's hoppy. It's not bitter. At the very end, I get a tiny bit. Oh. You're so wrong. Tiny, tiny bit. But mostly it's just juicy. Seems to be citrus juice. Yeah, but again, we don't know how that, you know, if it's just. No, we know nothing. We know nothing except <laughs> stories will you take. <laughs> That's all we know. All right. We're in the final third of the album. 
I have a fave left. I think you may as well. I have two faves left. In the final four? Yeah. I feel like you're going to like hip hop flow. I think that's one of them. <laughs> Interesting guess. Am I right? I'm not going to reveal the answer. Are you kidding? You'll know in two tracks. You can wait. Oh, two tracks? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wrapping up the album, we're going to start with track number nine Only Human. Squirrel in the tree, is he watching me? Does he give a damn? Does he care who I am? I'm just a man, is that all I am? All my men is misinterpreted words are only human, I'm human. Murderous crow, hey, what you know? What you raving about? What you hold in your toes? Is that a twig? Are you a dove a piece? Black dove undercover with another puzzle piece? Are you a riddle to solve all along? Or am I overthinking thoughts? I'm human after all, only human. Made of flesh, made of sand, made of human. The planet's talking about a revolution. Natural laws ain't got no constitution They even got a right to live their own life But we keep paving over paradise Cause we're only human Oh yes we are Only human If it's our only excuse How do we think we'll keep on being only human Oh yes we are Of all the songs on the album, this is the one We've been talking jazzy a lot but this is the one that feels like jazz the way it's structured yeah and i love the content of this you know i played kind of a long clip about animals and the planet and there's a sense in the lyrics that he's writing about man's dominion over the planet and is that necessarily the best choice like we are supposed to be the stewards of the planet and we're not great at it yeah and that's what i like about this song a lot i, lo I love the lyrical content of this this is just a flat out discussion about Nature's out there doing its thing, and we're just paving it over. Not that this is a song about overbuilding, but the point I'm trying to make is that we're not making the best choices for how to preserve the planet. And we'll be gone because of that. We're going to eliminate ourselves from the planet, and nature will survive. The planet's not going anywhere. But we're not making great decisions. And this is a great song about that. Yeah, we've talked on some recent episodes Definitely the David Byrne episode and definitely the Talking Heads episode. Both of them contain songs about how humans, the way we function in relation to the planet, it's effectively like we're gods on Earth. Although evolutionarily, we're just animals. And we've had these conversations in relation to several songs on those episodes. This, I think, is the perfect answer to that, which is... Yes, we're human. We're not just animals. We're human, but we're only human. We should stay in our lane. <laughs> yes, exactly right. We shouldn't be making these planet-altering decisions just to make living easier for us, you know? The message obviously resonates completely with me. It's a great song. It's not in my top three. It's Maybe it falls towards the bottom for me, but that doesn't have to do with the lyrical content. More so with the style of the music. Although I do love his vocals in this one. I think he sounds great. When he does the, yes, we are. Like, oh my God, I love that. His little run. Yeah. And the stopping and starting the music, when I said, oh, I think it's the one that's closest to jazz forms, the way it stops and starts and 
you know, we're calling the other stuff jazzy because it's got a lot of brass, a lot of horns. But this is really built like a jazz song. Mm -hmm. So again, in the context of the album, it's not, I mean, what is the bell curve, right? We've had that conversation. Yeah. I'm going, oh, there's a whole bunch of jazzy songs. This falls in that. This is a style I like. So this is like the middle third for me. It's not really a bell curve because you have to use the X, Y, and Z axes, right? Like one axis is pop, one axis is hip hop, and one is jazz. And acoustic. And so if you plot it... Well, yeah, acoustic, I guess. Yeah. So it's a four-dimensional graph. We've got the Tesseract of this album. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Going to move on now to track number 10, which has some hip-hop flow, to quote a friend of ours. And that's the song, The Dynamo of Volition. I got the dynamo of volition, the pop pole position, automatic transmission with the old emissions. I'm a brand new addition to the old edition with the love of conditional. And I'm a drama abolitionist, damn, no opposition to my proposition. Half of a man, half magician, half a politician, holding the mic like ammunition. And my vision is as simple as light. Ain't no reason we should be in a fight, no demolition. Get to vote, get to see what you like. Procreation, compositions already written by themselves. Hackers for the people not believing in gosh. Good job, get them up way high, give me, give me that high five. Good time, get them way down low, give me, give me that low dough. Good God, bring them back again, give me, give me that high Definition of good intention. I do not answer the call if I do not know who is calling. I guess the whole point of it all is that we never know really. I'm trying to keep with the Joneses while waiting for guns and the roses to finish what we all suppose. So you just heard a page of lyrics. That's the first thing I want to say. As somebody who prints the lyrics out. So many words. <laughs> this one has three pages of lyrics, and you just heard an entire page of lyrics. Now, this is someone who's using all the musical real estate. Yeah. Well, you could say that about any hip-hop artist, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's vocals as rhythm. But I wouldn't call Jason Mraz a hip-hop artist. No, no. This is using vocals as rhythm for this particular song. And he's done it two or three times on the whole album. I mean, I think the last one had some elements of it. Not, yeah. not like the two that I've referenced that I think are really hip-hop influenced. So again... What I knew of him going into this album was more of a acoustic pop artist. So these things jumped out at me as being a little odd. So this is in the bottom. I did not give this a star the first time through. It's not that I don't appreciate the art form. That's not it. I'm looking at it in the context of an entire album and I'm trying to rank the songs. And this would be in the bottom because this is not who I think this guy is. I take it back. This is not what my interpretation of him was going into the album. So these seemed like outliers to me when given an entire package of his music. Mm -hmm. Now, the flip side argument is that we were just joking about the Tesseract. What does that mean? This guy has multiple lanes that he's traveling in on this album. Right. So well, like we jokingly said before about the furniture at Petty Thieves, if nothing matches, it all matches. Great point, Dad. Thank you. I'm here all day. It's like your, it's like your pottery collection. It's like our dishware for our dining room. Right. Yeah. So just to explain what that means... Sure. Because I'm sure there's not a soul listening who has any clue what that means. When your mom and I got married, we had to pick out a china pattern. And I said, I don't want china. I'd rather have pottery. But you couldn't really do that. You couldn't go to a potter and say, everybody can come here and order. So we jokingly said, well, what if we just got pottery and none of it matched? And so by default, all of it matched. Well, even that was impossible. Your grandmother, Darby's mom, my wife's mom, thought that was the dumbest thing she'd ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so we got some China pattern. Tell me when you've ever eaten on the China. I didn't even know you had it. It's here. 
It's all stored. We've never used it. Had no idea. Because we went as we traveled and bought a set of pottery plates one at a time, 12 bowls, 12 plates, 12 dessert plates, whatever it is, 12 coffee cups, 12 water cups, none of which match. Yeah. You have a full set now and you even have accessories. You have like butter dishes, salt and pepper shakers, serving dishes. So when you set the table up, nothing matches. And it's art. And that's why nobody's ever eaten on our China. Yeah. This album is like that. So I appreciate that for what it's worth. But as you're stacking up songs, because you got a whole bunch of different styles, now on an album like this, stylistically, I like jazz. I like acoustic. So the songs that land there end up being in my preferred category. And so the hip hop stuff ended up toward the bottom. Yeah. Not that I don't appreciate it. It's just not what I listen to a lot. So that's why this is toward the bottom. This is high on the list for me, but it is not in my top three. Wow. I know the answer for two of your top three because there's only two tracks left. There's on only the two songs left. <laughs> hey, I have one in the running. That is true. I just wanted to point out a couple of the lines that I really love on this song because this song is great. I love this song. I've loved learning the lyrics. I still don't know all the words to this song. I don't know you if can. I ever will. It's three pages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the parts that I know, gosh, I just sing my heart out. So the first one I wanted to point out is. Heck is for the people not believing in gosh. What I don't understand is in this a song, song already has the explicit that has the explicit tag on it. Why you would go so far out of your way to say heck and gosh? But he said God in so many other of these songs, and none of them had the explicit tag. I think he obviously did it to be tongue in cheek, but it's so funny to me that he said that line. And then the other line I love is. I do not answer the call if I do not know who is calling. I guess the whole point of it all is that we never know, really. Because I do the same thing. If I don't recognize the number on my phone, I do not answer it. I can one-up you. Sometimes I see who it is, and I still don't answer. Well, that's called screening your calls, and that's a different thing. <laughs> I have a different issue? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's different. So anyway, that's all I had to say on that song. I just wanted to point out the lines I liked. I enjoy this song very much, but it's not in my top three. I had highlighted the same line about the heck and gosh, because it just seemed like such a weird... It's so funny. There's a social commentary there that's interesting. When you say that, you're saying way more. You're making fun of something. I don't need to know what you're making fun of for me to enjoy that it is a funny line. To use these words instead of hell and God... That is the social commentary. Yeah. Oh, I got to behave myself. I'm going to say something else later, but I'm going to use this here. It's a fun line. All right. We have two tracks left and somebody's all in on these and somebody's partially in on these. So let's find out how that breaks down. This is track number 11, the penultimate track. It's called If It Kills Me. How long can I go on like this wishing to kiss you before I rightly explode? Well, this double life I lead isn't healthy for me. Fact, it makes me nervous. If I get caught, I could be risking it all.
So on its face, this is a song about unrequited love, right? But clearly, this is the one that has the most interesting connotations when you think about the fact that he is, at the point of the song, not admitted that he's bisexual. Mm -hmm. And these lines, this was the one that was like, oh, he's put stuff in here. The other ones maybe are superficial. Maybe you got to look three ways across them to figure out that that might be what it means. This is way too obvious, right? This double life that I lead isn't healthy for me. In fact, it makes me nervous. If I get caught, I could be risking it all. Remember, this is from, what you say, 2008? Yeah. 10 years later that he openly admits this. And then the, the chorus about all I really want to do is love you, a kind much closer than friends use. Mm -hmm. This is my second favorite song on the album. I think musically it's fun. And I think it is so cleverly written to admit something, at least to himself, if not to the general public, in retrospect. I'm not saying at the time the album came out, anybody would have read it that way. But you can't help but look back on it and go, this is where he's trying to explain to the world exactly who he is in a very clever way. And so kudos to him. And this is my second favorite on the album. I would call this a match because this is my first favorite on the album. All right. Fair enough. And I didn't know he was bisexual. Like you revealing that to me today was the first I'd ever heard of that. And when the clip you just played, that's all I could think about. But this song works whether he's talking about a male friend or a female friend. Absolutely. That's why it's so good. It is. Because at the time that he wrote it, it didn't matter. Right. But he's putting the hints and the clues in there for you. Right. And when he finally comes around to saying, this is who I really am, everything that he wrote on this album, but in particular, this song works in that context. Mm -hmm. That's why I like it so much. It's beautiful. I love everything about this song. The music is so fun. I actually love the little voicemail at the beginning. I don't see how it relates to the content of the song, but I think it's a really fun detail. It's a medical office calling him, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like an automated voice. I think about this all the time. I, I try and recate. I go, if you are Jason Mraz, <laughs> it's so funny. Like, well, see, he may have gotten that, and because he didn't buy a vowel, people were confused. Robocop doesn't Mraz. <laughs> Mraz. He doesn't know how to Jason, say it. Mraz. <laughs> we need more letters, dude. Come on, just give us bias a vowel. And then. Because of how the music and his voice starts as soon as the voicemail is done, it almost sounds like he's the one leaving the voicemail. And I think the song is really, I mean, it's a beautiful song, but if you imagine it as he's saying all this stuff on a voicemail to someone, it's so interesting and cool and fun. And I just love it so much. The other thing I want to say is this is the one that made me think of the Beatles. Ah. There's a staccato kind of approach to it. And then the strings. I get it. The music. The strings in particular. It's kind of a minor key string arrangement that's not I am the walrus, but you know what I'm trying to say. There's a lot of songs in the later part of the Beatles career that had minor key string arrangements tacked on at the end. Mm -hmm. And so this was one of two songs got two stars the first time I went through this one and track number two. I have no idea why this is so late on the album. Because he had to put two hip hop songs. That's just well, my point about <laughs> sequencing. And I'm three tall boys in. So don't get me started on sequencing. But <laughs> this is why I would have broken up the hip hop songs and maybe moved this one earlier. Because this is really, this is like a high watermark on the album. And it deserves a place of more prominence. It shouldn't be after the two hip hop songs. Or it should be earlier in the album. And the hip hop songs maybe split them up. I don't know. I don't have a whole theory on this. 
No, I don't either. Not that he released in a vinyl era, but would this not be the best song to open side two of an album on? So maybe this needs to be track seven. Yeah. Well, it also would have worked really well as a single, and I'm not sure why it wasn't a single. Listen, the three singles he released were pretty good. And this is up there. Yeah, he could have released this as a single. This is a really good song. Although, you know, maybe it's too personal for him. Maybe. Maybe his view of what the song was about made it too personal of a thing. I don't know. That's possible. But I mean, he has so much plausible deniability here. For years and years and years, I just thought this was about a close female friend he even says we get along much better than you and your boyfriend so like the assumption is it's about a woman so yeah i read into that a different way too but anyway i think this is a really good song and i i agree with you i think this could have been a very popular single and musically it's different than the other three singles Remember, I went into this album thinking, oh, I'm going to hear acoustic singer-songwriter pop. Right. Because I had three singles to work with that all sounded that way. And so the other nine songs on here have such diversity, and I didn't know that was coming. No, you're right. I mean, this kind of is the best of all worlds. The verses are very upbeat and poppy, and the choruses are slower, a little more sad, obviously, but still in a hopeful, joyful way. Right. It kind of is the best of everything on this album all in one song it's funny you said that about i saw a list of who performed on this album oh my god the personnel list is insane there are 40 names it's huge on this list. yeah it's enormous are the children credited in coyotes <laughs> yes the choir on track eight is the one with like 20 people oh wow a lot of children well you can't tell from the names I don't know. If you went and looked at what baby names were popular. Um... Millette Oliver, Zoriel Harrison with an X, Zaytag Zywills with a Z. These are sci-fi names. What are you doing? These are Star Wars characters. Right Boba Fett is on here. No, shut uh, <laughs> Jin Grogu. Who the hell is that? I think that takes us to the final track. I think you're right. Well, much like this episode, we're going to move on to track number 12. A beautiful mess. Although you are biased, I love your advice. Your comebacks there quick and probably have to do with your insecurities. There's no shame in being crazy, depending on how you take these. Words I'm paraphrasing this relationship we're staging And what a beautiful mess this is It's like picking up trash in dresses where you say kind of turn themselves into blades kind and courteous is a life I've heard but it's nice to say that we played in the dirt oh dear I'd like to point out that the lyrics here are structured like hip-hop lyrics Without him singing like hip-hop. Hmm. What I like about this song is that he uses some of the hip-hop structures, but he does it like an acoustic song. And I think that's really, really sharp. This is middle third of the, for the album for me, but I do appreciate that. So I'll go back to the point I was talking about earlier. 
when you come in with a hip hop structure, when that's not what people are expecting musically, maybe the play is to write hip hop lyrics and find a way to structure them like this song, because I, I think this is a really interesting song. There's not much out there that's structured like this, which is sort of a blending of hip hop and acoustic music, which I really appreciate. I think it's a nice, quiet way to close the album. You know, I think a good slow song to end an album is totally fair. This one's structured in a great way to end it too, because it has a false ending that goes into a second ending, which I love as not just a song ending, but an album ending. So I think this is a pretty strong song. Yeah, no spoilers for anyone who's been paying attention this episode. This is my second favorite song on the album. And I think it always has been. I've always really, really loved this song. Just like you said, the rhyming and the meaning that he fits into these words is incredible. And I've always loved how he describes the person he's talking about in such a nuanced way. This is what I was referencing at the very beginning of this episode. You are strong, but you're needy, humble, but you're greedy. Your style is quite selective, though your mind is rather reckless. He's accepting this person for who they are while still recognizing them as a complex person with multiple characteristics, some of which are positive, some of which are negative. And I really appreciate that. I also really appreciate the message that even though something is not perfect, it can still be so beautiful and so meaningful. It's a beautiful mess. What's perfect? Really? I mean, right. <laughs> nothing's perfect. Exactly. So. We're all trying to figure it out as we go. Like none of us has a manual for this. And I really love that sentiment. I just think it's really beautiful. I love the line. I like being submerged in your contradictions. You didn't play that part, but I think that's a really beautiful line. And I love the line, this relationship we're staging, because it really hammers home the point that none of us really know what we're doing here, right? In some cases, we're going through the motions, hoping something will make sense in time. Fake it till you make it is another way to say that, right? So nothing's ever going to be exactly right. And the only way you learn is through trial and error. Yeah, I wrote down simple love song about complicated people. And that's the point, right? Yes. Everyone is complicated. Every love story is between complicated people. And this really embraces that. Yeah, and I think it's the acceptance of the complicated people that makes relationships work. Mm -hmm. Like if you're trying to pigeonhole somebody into your vision of perfection, well, that's never going to work. Right. And the last line just gets me every time. We've torn our dresses and stained our shirts, but it's nice today. Oh, the wait was so worth it. It's so beautiful. Like they finally got into this place where it's messy and they appreciate it and they love it and they love being together. And they maybe did a lot of hard work to get to that place, but it was so worth it because now they have this beautiful mess together. Well, that wraps up. We sing, we dance, we steal things from Jason Mraz. And I had a good time working on this album because I was surprised initially by what it sounded like based on what I knew of him. And so I had to cross that hurdle. And then when I got to the lyrical interpretation, it was like another whole layer. I worked hard on this album. I got to tell you. Did you? Yeah. Give me an easier one next time. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Dad, I thought this was going to be an easy one. I did not anticipate oh, any of I your did. complex relationships with this here. Well, it's good. That's what I like that. I like this one better than the Andy Graham room. Oh, well, um, so do I. 
but that's <laughs> another story for a previous that's episode. a different so story dial back if you want to know what that was about for anyone who needs to know the album we kept referencing in this one that was episode 56 where we reviewed andy grammar by andy grammar so that means we have to wrap up our rating of the final beer of the day basking in the glow of self-approval from our friends at petty thieves brewing brought to you by dr michael mccrowan Shout out to Dr. Mike. Thank you, Dr. Mike. Great beer. Great beer. The last pour on this put some sediment in the bottom. Oh, does it? I'm not even close to the bottom of the can. (laughs) Oh, my God. I need a strainer. I'm not a fan of sediment, frankly. In your beer or just across the board? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In my beer. In your beer, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So this one, I'm between a 4 and a 4.25. But I'm just barely above a four, so I'm going with a four again. Three fours for me today. For wow, very consistent. I think this was my favorite of the day, though. I'm going to go 3.75 again. This is very tasty for an IPA. It is a hazy. It's very, very juicy, citrusy. The hops are there, but they're not overwhelming. And I get just the tiniest little bit of bitterness at the end. But it's not overwhelming. And... It's a very tasty beer. My only problem is I'm never going to finish this tall point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This means it's my turn to give an album. Yes. So I'm going to dust off an old album from a band called Blues Traveler. I know Blues Traveler. You do. I believe one of your favorite Christmas songs is Blues Traveler. Yes, it is. This is probably their most commercially accessible album called Four. F-O-U-R-4. Got probably two of their biggest hits on it. Probably my entry point for the band. They came out of a much more heavily blues-influenced early career. They had their biggest commercial success with a couple of albums in the 90s, and this was the first one. But the album is a mixed bag. It's got some bluesier tracks on it. It's got the big hits. So it's a little bit of a diverse collection of songs. I'm bringing it to you because we talk a lot about harmonica on the podcast. And John Popper, who is the singer and the harmonica player is probably one of the best harmonica players you've ever heard. Oh, wow. I'm bringing it to you because of the harmonica performance more than anything. I came to this from a music video that I think is one of the most brilliant music videos I've ever seen. We'll share that next time about that music video, why I think it's so cool. So that's your next assignment for by Blues Traveler. In the meantime, if you need more Pops on Hops content, you can find us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at Pops on Hops Pod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you, or you can visit our website, popsonhopspod.com. That's where we put bonus photos, videos, and other materials related to each of our bi-weekly episodes. That is also where you can submit to our virtual jukebox for a chance for your favorite album and even your voice to appear on the pod. And on behalf of Hops and Pops, we'll see you next time. I'm lucky to podcast with my best friend. Lucky to drink beer where we have been. Lucky to be talking music again. Bye, 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 bye.
And then they had some commercial sex. Uh, commercial sex? They didn't have that. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's illegal in Florida. Uh, reading books is illegal in Florida. So That's true. Of course, commercial sex is. 